My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I had friends who had who, who were living under tarpaulins, right, with, with um, a dirt floor, right? I had, I had lunch with their family, and, and essentially it was very, very basic living over there. We weren't well-to-do either, right? So, so I knew, I know how bad it can get, essentially. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Andrew David Courtney, founder of Plentitude Wealth. We'll hear about his family's journey from the Philippines to the sunny shores of the Gold Coast, plus how just one property investment allowed him to change careers and his future forever. Since 2018, Courtney has smashed goal after goal in his business. As a licensed financial advisor, buyer's agent, mortgage broker and speaker with a healthy multi-million dollar property portfolio, maybe this should come as no surprise. Yet, he says unless other people achieve their goals of financial freedom, it won't matter. As the founder of full service advisory company, Plentitude, Courtney's plan is to educate over a million Australians by 2028. The question is why? So it's a very, uh, um, very niche um, market that we serve, and and all in all, mate. Since uh, since Australians love property, I think I think we're in a pretty good position to a first and foremost educate, right, and b help them build their portfolio accordingly so that they can achieve their goals a hell of a lot faster. Essentially, so so we run we run three um, businesses: a financial planning business, a mortgage broking business, and a, a property buyers agency. And essentially, I try and overlay the the portfolios that I've built myself for my clients, and and essentially show them um, where the pitfalls are, and make sure we stay clear of them, and actually amplify um, the returns on investment, and and um, build their portfolio a hell of a lot faster than they um, otherwise would have gone themselves. If Courtney's job sounds like a lot, it's because it is. He packs his days to the brim, but not necessarily with the priorities you may think. Right now, day to day looks a little bit like this. So, so wake up at five thirty, ideally go for a walk, listen to an audio book. Um, big, big believer of, of that particular habit, um, and listen to it either two and a half, three and a half times, depending on how fast the the audio book goes or the reader goes, and always asking a specific question, right? How do I make myself better or how do I make one part of the business or my life better? And this is how I pretty much operate across the board, right? And then, and then from that, get home, 
start the start with the the business essentially typically run a, a morning meeting with my team and work out what are the what are the fires that we're fighting this morning what are the challenges and essentially see see what action items we need to take to ensure that we we know the timelines for all of our clients who are acquiring property right and understand um the plans that we're building out and make sure that we, we do a lot of QAQC. So right now for me, I'm transitioning from from uh, um, being the main operator to ideally more more QAQC on the on the business side because there's so many moving parts. So we're looking for a great operator um, at the moment to help me um, transition into more of an educator, trainer, sales and marketing kind of a, a person in the business. So lots of lots of moving parts when it comes to the three businesses, but ultimately it's about making sure we have a smooth run. At the process that we've built out, we're quite systematic in our approach. Coming from a from a science background, which I'm sure you'll you'll hear about soon, um, we we have to be systemized, and and we make sure that we've got certain milestones in place so that we can keep moving forward with uh, precision and and confidence. Courtney is really running three businesses in one. He loves what he does, but he knows there's only one way to do it, and that's not alone. I run them through through having staff. You got to have staff. You got to have a solid team. Um, you got to have obviously a fantastic culture um, in the team, and and essentially a great training program to ensure that all the clients, well, all the clients are engaged first and foremost. But more importantly, the staff and employees are engaged too, so that they understand what their roles are and how they how they help our clients moving forward and how the, how to keep the businesses sustainable and profitable as well. So. Mate, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of projects on the run. That's for sure. But uh, I wouldn't have it any any other way. We're currently running a, a work from quasi work from home kind of arrangement. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, five um, Aussies, and about twelve uh, VAs who are overseas, basically. So majority in the Philippines, basically. Um, and, and yeah, so so that's pretty much how we how we operate, mate. So half half of the week in the office and half of the week at home. So t- typically two to three days per week in the office and then um, two days at home for sure. So Courtney's connection to the Philippines is much deeper than through his staff. He actually starts on a basketball court. Yeah, so born um, in the Philippines, right? So my mum's Filipina and my dad's Aussie. Bit of a mixture. He's a Danish Danish English. Grew up down in Melbourne, right? So. Born in the Philippines, grew up there until um, age ten, then moved over to Oz, and uh, fell in love fell in love with basketball um, because Philippine in the Philippines basketball was the number one sport, right? So everyone played it, and I was I was okay. I was probably average at best um, in the Philippines, but I came to Oz, and hardly anyone played that sport. So I was like suddenly the top top player in the school. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I started playing more. <laughs> And uh, and essentially looked at well in the '90s, obviously Jordan was the big the big dog at the time, and, and I was looking at him thinking, wow, I want to be like Mike too. So I thought, you know what, um, I'm going to go for it. So so the whole the whole time, basically since 11 to 20, I devoted myself to basketball um, because I was thinking maybe I can make the NBA one day. Um, so so yeah, that was that's me growing up, mate. That's uh, grew up in the Gold Coast essentially, um, and 2009 moved over to Brisbane, and and here we are. Growing up overseas has left a lasting impression on Courtney. Of course, leaving a love for a childhood sport, but also transforming his perspective. Because it's it's practically a, a developing nation at the moment. I would argue that it was a, a third world country back in the day when I was there, right? So, so it, seeing I had friends who had who who were living under tarpaulins, right? 
with with um, a dirt floor, right? I had I had lunch with their family, and and essentially it was very very basic living over there, right? I was lucky enough to have to have enough means with, within my family at the time, but we weren't well to do either, right? So so I knew I know how bad it can get essentially. So I'm very grateful for the move, and I'll tell my parents all the time that was the genius move to move over here because I don't know where we'd be as a family um, without that move to Australia. Right. So, so really it's a, it's a massive contrast and it, it provides me with, with, um, how should I say it? I guess a, a, a great, a great, um, uh, a baseline to work off of. Right. So I can, because, because of the, that particular experience, I know for a fact that I can go back down there and be comfortable basically. Right. So it gives me the impetus to learn more and take a little bit more risk than the average person would, because I know the baseline is actually reasonably comfortable um, uh, because of where, where I came from. Right. So so it's interesting. As Courtney reflects on his time in the Philippines, there is a greater realization of the complex thoughts behind his parents' decision, a decision he says he is forever grateful for. Since my dad grew up here in in my mum's Filipina, she she we figured I think I think they were they were of the mindset of we can get help in the Philippines much easier, right? I.e., like uh, uh, someone to housekeep, right? Someone to cook and clean for us, basically, because my mum and dad were both working full time at the time, right? And and half of their work had to go overseas, basically. So so essentially, they needed to make sure that we had the support network. Um, as I grew up, I'm also one of four um, siblings. So, so essentially, they needed to make sure that we had that support network to ensure that we would have a good um, upbringing. And my mum was a little bit hesitant, I believe, to come to Australia sooner rather than later, purely because she knew that we, you know, we couldn't afford um, nannies here and that kind of stuff. Because you know, it's 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 expensive to hire to hire um, local talent to to help out right so so essentially that was that was the big uh, arbitrage for for mom and dad and, and really the straw that broke the camel's back was or the final straw I should say was um, the business opportunities for them really dried up um, in the Philippines they got burnt a few fair few times and and essentially the what they decided was as soon as I hit 10 and my my um, uh, siblings at the time were nearing adulthood they decided okay it's time to move to Australia let's sell up and start from zero in Australia and build a new life so so they did that sold everything had just enough for the uh, the plane tickets and uh, made the move in 1995 and uh, I'm going to be forever grateful for that for that move because I tell you what I mean with the health issues that we've had in the family like I, I'd say half of us would be gone by now if we were living in the Philippines right so Australia's fantastic country Courtney says even his position in the family has shaped him into the person he is today. Yeah, I'm the I'm the youngest, mate. Um, the eldest is ten years older than me, and that's my brother, oldest brother, and then I have a sister who's eight years, and then another brother who's seven years. So I'm the I'm the typical runt of the family who was running around trying to play with everyone. No one wanted to play with me because they were all a hell of a lot older. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so so right now I'm I'm one of those guys that are that are, is always looking to to. Uh, involved myself in, in games and that kind of stuff because I didn't really quite um, scratch that itch when I was younger. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a game, I'm a game player of life basically now. So so I see everything as a game and, uh, and make sure we optimize for the win essentially. <laughs> Once Courtney's family finally reached Australia, there was no quick fix for their financial troubles. Like we, we're 
we got help from St. Vincent de Paul's, right? So my mum, my mum would go would go around um, and and try and pick up some food for us because we only I think we only had like a thousand bucks amongst that we had. Yeah, there was there was six of us, right? So 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 that that got us through for the next I think for the first three weeks, and then and then during that time, my mum and dad were basically just just scrounging around looking for work, um, making sure that they they got enough food for the next week. Right, so it was a tough, it was a really tough gig, um, until such a time where, mom, so my mum's a professional pianist and singer, so she got her first gig at one of the hotels in the Gold Coast. Fantastic! So, so that was great. And then um, my dad picked up a managerial role in, in one of the, well, it was a time zone actually. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Holy moly! <laughs> Cut my teeth in a few video games there, mate. <laughs> so so that was that was really good. Um, but yeah, so prior to that, mate, it was it was hard going, but they didn't really show us. What the issues were, so they did a fantastic job of, of hiding the stress that they that they would have felt, right? So so all in all, mate, it was a it was a stellar job that they've done. They sent me to the local primary school. We, I mean, we lived really close to the beach, so so learnt how to. Uh, uh, I was a nipper, right? So 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 learnt the the Aussie way basically, um, and and went to the the local primary um, public primary, and went through that, and was sent to a Catholic high school. Basically, so so my parents managed to to get me through there, and um, and all as well. Really, they they managed to to do a good job actually um, throughout that time. Don't forget, Courtney was only one child in a family of six. While he was also enjoying school in the Gold Coast, his siblings were forging their own unique path. Yeah, straight out in the workforce, all three of them actually. Yeah, they didn't they didn't want to pursue because I, I think the other two needed to do one more year of high school. Um, the the oldest. Uh, he unfortunately couldn't get credit for his. Uh, I believe he did one or two years worth of university in the Philippines. It wasn't quite enough to to get credit for uni here, so he had to sort of go back. And they didn't feel the need to do that. And I tell you what, the Aussie dollar relative to the Filipino peso is very uh, tempting for young adults. So so off they went and uh, worked at McDonald's and nightclubs and um, and pretty much did the the partying thing as a, as an eighteen and twenty twenty one year old do basically and uh um so they experienced that for the first few years basically and uh um started making their own money so so unfortunately for them they didn't they didn't keep studying and it, it, i think that's probably a big regret for them because because they're sort of uh they didn't have the a solid foundation for themselves as as we moved over here in oz currently financial advisor extraordinaire could have been yesterday's basketball star I was chasing after a, um, a a scholarship to to go to the US because uh, being in high school, I was still seventeen at the time, and I still had that dream of uh, becoming the next Michael Jordan. <laughs> so so basically, started my first year of uni as an exercise scientist. So hoping hoping to get into um, uh, uh, physiology, uh, no physiotherapy at the time, right? Um, as I was working towards um, working towards. Uh, the NBA, basically. So I managed to get a, a scholarship actually to go to to go play in uh, British Columbia um, to revert back to high school for one more one more year of high school and hopefully get into to college over there. But unfortunately, this is when then one of the many realizations really hit me that we we weren't financially well off. Where um, I had the money, I was working Woolworths at the time, and and basically to to travel over there, but I didn't have enough buffer. So on the eleventh hour and fifty ninth minute. They sent me an email asking me if I had ten thousand dollars in a in a bank account for emergency purposes, basically. So I asked my parents that, and uh, um, they didn't have it. 
and my brother and my, my siblings didn't have it either. So, so I had to give up on that particular dream. And then right then and there, I knew I needed to get out of exercise science and the next dream was medicine, basically. Coming up after the break, we follow Andrew David Courtney into his first foray into property. And got it for 200 grand and basically moved out. And then nine months later, it was valued at 250. His very first conversation with his finance professors. What happened to property? Like, what, what happened to property as an asset class? And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham, and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey there. Over the years, I've built up a portfolio of properties and it's been great to see capital growth. But the challenge I face is the passive income has been quite poor, providing a net return of 3 to 4% per annum. I'd have to buy at least 10 properties or more to generate $100,000 per year. Now, if I had the cash to buy these outright, which I didn't, then I need the help of banks and as they wouldn't lend me more, I was stuck. This is when I start looking into alternative investments where I could use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns and fast track my passive income goal. In a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve this goal and have tripled my passive income instead. Now, if you want to learn more on how I did this, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32 and I'll send you a free report explaining how I did it. Courtney's first property investment was just one part of a much bigger balancing act, juggling study, work and relationships. So I started to buy a medical science degree as a pre-med, trying to get into med, got into a few interviews, unfortunately got, got pipped to the post essentially, started working as a scientist and during that time, I met my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and um, we, we wanted to move out of home. So this is now 23, right? So, so basically, started working honours and uh, started my honours degree and started working full-time at the same time. I was fortunate enough to find that. And with that, I, we invested in our first one-bedroom apartment in Buds Beach in Service Paradise, right? 5% down, basically. Um, first homeowner's grant when it was available with uh, existing property at the time. So, so got in, hardly, hardly any, any money in um, and got it for 200 grand and basically moved out. And then nine months later, it was valued at 250. And, and well, what we did was we, we basically pulled some equity out and acquired the next one along with a few other bits and bobs that we did at the time to, to ensure that we, we leapfrogged across into our next property basically. So, so how does a biomedical scientist become a financial advisor? So circling back to the question, mate. Yeah, that was so university degree. We went with a biomed, did honors. And during that time, I studied a, a PhD hoping to get into med, right? So six months into the PhD, I realized this, it wasn't quite right for me. And during that time, I've read Kiyosaki's books and all of those kinds of uh, um, uh, finance books that got me thinking, wow, this is it. This is it. This is for me. So I moved from the PhD, started working as a research assistant and came across Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, oh, damn, there's no way I could do the four-hour work week as an employee, as a scientist, right? So I was trying to trying to get out of science and uh, 
realize there's no way I could start a business as a scientist at that st- at that time. I had different, obviously, limiting beliefs in my head um, at the time, and and I thought, okay, let me just keep reading. Let me let me work out what the next steps are, and and basically found a couple of mentors from my network at the time who were doing financial planning. Right, so I thought, you know what. I caught myself talking to all the scientists about their finances and how to optimize for a better outcome. Because by, by this stage, we, we built up a, a three-property portfolio, basically. One with, one with development potential and the other, the other one with um, multiple uh, renovation, uh, renovations that we've done. So we've built up enough equity to build momentum. And I was talking to people about their portfolio. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get into finance because this is what I'm passionate about. I can't, can't stop thinking about it. Medicine's great, but I realize it's not really about the money, it's about freedom and flexibility and you can get you can get your money elsewhere in life, you know. I was very kind of hyper-focused on medicine because it was my auntie at the time um, down in Melbourne who's the well-to-do one in the family and she was a medico, right? So, this, And then I realized, well, it's not really about your job. It's about, well, what else you do outside of your job, right? If you start investing, you can start building massive momentum for yourself and thereby taking a little bit more risk, right? And you can potentially build your own business, right? So I knew I wanted to go down that path and, uh, yeah, I basically uh, um, found some mentors and transitioned from science into finance and learned the ropes on, on how to be a, a financial advisor and run, run a small business. That was back in 2013. Now, Courtney was set on his new future. All that was left was to make it a reality. I did um, melanoma research to begin with and then did breast cancer, so for my PhD um, that I that I didn't finish, right? Um, did that for about a year, and then I did about four years worth of developmental biology, basically, right? So so learning the different pathways of development, essentially, um, and and from there, that's what I was very I w- I'm very grateful for my my boss at the time, and I was working at UQ as a researcher, and she allowed me to work full time while studying full time because. I studied a master of commerce majoring in applied finance. So that was a year and a half where I was working full-time and studying full-time. So it was hectic as all hell, right? Um, and and that's when I transitioned post those studies, basically. So a good, good solid six years worth of uh, um, experience in the medical research field. While Courtney is thankful for all his scientific study to forge his new life of financial freedom, some science had to be left at the university. The transition was... Uh, as far as I was concerned, it was really easy in the theory space, right? The hardest part was the soft skills. The hardest part was talking to people um, about their finances because I was very logical, right? It was, uh, uh, you know, you, you do this, this and this, suddenly it just makes perfect sense, but people don't, <laughs> people don't think the way scientists do, right? So, so I, had to, I had to really take a step back and sort of peel the onion as best as I can for people so that they can actually take action to put themselves in a better position. So I had to relearn the way I communicated because I was very direct and I was very logical because you had to be in science, right? So I had to relearn that communication skill and, and, and really kind of work out, well, how do, you best, how do you best communicate the strategies for people so that you can increase the likelihood of them moving forward and getting things done for their, their lives and putting themselves in a better position, right? So, so that was the big, one of the big ones. And then the next big one was bloody running a small business, right? I had no clue how to run a small business. I knew how to build portfolios, right? But I didn't know how to run a small business. So that's, that's when I transitioned from, from the old role in AMP into an independent like boutique firm where my mentors were, right? So they mentored me throughout that transition. And then I started my own business within their business. So I learned what not to do and what to do 
within the small business context in 2016 decided to to start my own basically and that's Planitude. Courtney has worked with various investment tools but in his own life, property has had real impact beyond just the balance sheet. Three properties allowed us to do the career change, right? So, so as you, you're well aware, you know, that the property is a, is a fantastic asset to leverage against, right? Because obviously there's no margin calls. You wouldn't want to leverage at 80, 90, 95% on, on shares, right? Because you can lose it in a heartbeat, right? So in property, you can do that, right? So that's, that's pretty much what we did. We, we leveraged up. We pulled out a bunch of equity and we moved into the space where I knew there was, so I'm an investor at heart, right? And then during that time, as I transitioned, I realized, wow, this new asset class right here, the business, is actually the highest leverage form of asset class that you can get into. If you do it right and if you learn, and obviously there are so many lessons in running a small business, obviously, um, and getting it to a medium size or a bigger business, right? So many lessons that you need to go through. And I, re- and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to tackle this, this challenge, right? So, so essentially, I knew there was going to be a bit of a lull. You know, how, you know what they say about learning, right? There's this, um, uh, there's this um, uninformed optimism and as you go down and you learn, you get to the valley of despair, you learn informed pessimism, right? And post the valley of despair, as you go up, you get to informed optimism and then mastery, right? So I was, I was the uninformed optimist, basically, going down and through the valley of despair, um, learning about business. And then now over the past couple of years, we've really kind of picked up and, and mastery has, has, has arrived and um, the businesses are doing well. And now we're getting back into, into the property space again because we've reinvested into the business, into the skill sets that we needed. And then now we're, we're building our own property portfolio alongside of all, all of our clients as well. Courtney says that for such an impactful tool that genuinely changes lives, property can often be overlooked or misunderstood by investors. Being a property investor first and foremost, right? I, I went through a master of commerce asking my professors, what happened to property? Like, what, what happened to property as an asset class? <laughs> they started talking about A REITs and I'm like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> um, it, it's good, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't mind diversifying across different asset classes, but man, where's the residential property piece? <laughs> where's the personal finance, right? So I was going through this, this master of commerce, supposedly one of the top things that you can do in the finance field, and there's nothing to do with personal finance. <laughs> so I thought, wow, okay, this is, this is very, very different. So I went into financial planning. No one talked about property. So I'm like, holy crap, this is a massive, this is a massive opportunity, right? So as I was building up my my client base and talking to people about their portfolios, obviously property conversation came up. Majority of financial planners did not know anything about property. Whereas I already built my property portfolio, built up enough momentum to make a career change and build massive confidence in my in my um, IP at the time. So I was comfortable talking about property, basically. So during that time, I realized, oh, I need to work with a with a um, strategic fine, uh, strategic mortgage broker, right? So basically, built out that network, started talking to my clients. This is what we're going to get up to. Okay, this is what we, this is what you need to do. Da, 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 basically. And then refer to the mortgage broker. Some of them did their job, others didn't, right? And then I realized, man, these the clients aren't really being serviced as well as they could be, right? So that's when we decided, okay, let's make it happen. So my wife and I basically became became mortgage brokers, right? So my wife was a scientist too. So she she transitioned over a few years later after I built proof of concept within the financial planning, right? She transitioned over and became a mortgage broker with me, right? And basically led that team. 
and we built out the mortgage broking arm so that we can service our clients better, right? And then the natural progression is obviously the buyer's agency piece, right? Because our clients were spending 200, 300 hours worth of research. We provide them with all the information, right? But they can't pull the plug. Courtney's business is all about making the hard parts of property easier. So when he got to see firsthand just how much we get it wrong, Plentitude was born. They don't know how to negotiate. They don't know. They don't really know how to how to spend the the right hours to actually put a deal together. And what happens is they'd spend six to eight months looking for a, a property with no success, right? So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to need to build out this particular service because the other buyers agents didn't quite fit the bill when it comes to the analytics, right? So we would always provide reports. This is why we do X, Y, Z. This is the kind of trajectory we're looking at. Just making sure that we're holding our clients' hands the whole way through. So really to answer your question, mate, it's about service. It's about clients wanting more and the market didn't deliver as I was referring, right? So I realized, well, this is a gap. So let's make it happen, right? So, so essentially, that's how, we, that's how we built the businesses out. Andrew David Courtney's story continues in the next episode of Property Invest Story. We'll hear his secrets to embracing the inevitable mistakes, lessons that we got out of that, and it allowed us to propel into the next um, chapter. Plus, the tips and tricks to maximize your next property deal. This is one of the common strategies that we do for our clients, right? Access prior to settlement to renovate and make better. And that's next time on Property Invest Story. If you love the show and you're a wholesale investor wanting to learn more about how I got started in alternative investments, where I've been able to use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns to fast track my passive income goal, then SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-3132 to register your interest. Now, in a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve my goal and have tripled my passive income. To find out how, SMS me your name and email address on 04 88 88 My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tapiphone.